Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. So countries aren't supposed to invade other countries and take their stuff. That is not how the U.S.-led international order is operated. It's been pretty clear that this has been against international law for a long time. And yet, as of at least this Sunday, it appears that official American foreign policy as it relates to Syria is to invade the country and take their oil. The president said this in a speech. And the rest of the foreign policy apparatus is shocked trying to figure out what the hell the president is doing and whether or not they can, in fact, act on an order to commit a war crime. That's Today on Worldly, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Zach Beecham, here as always with Jen Williams and Alex Ward. Hi. Happy Halloween. It is the best Halloween because the Nats won the World Series. Woo! And uh, this is a team that I had been rooting for since they came here. I'm actually a D.C. native. Um, I grew up here. And though the football team is horrible and I root for a different football team, the Nats are awesome. And it was just the coolest postseason ride. And I know a bunch of our listeners are not Americans and you don't know about baseball or care about it. Um, Maybe some in some countries you do. It depends. Just know that your hosts are very, very happy this morning and a little bit tired. Yeah, I'm I'm wearing a hat that says national spelled in Hebrew on it from the Jewish day at the ballpark that my wife and I always go to. Except this year, the one year that we skipped going, they win the World Series. Okay, sorry. Uh, This is a podcast about foreign affairs. It is not about baseball. Uh, anyway, uh, we're just in a good mood. That, that's all I have to this say. This Red Sox fan couldn't be happier for the Nats. Uh, all right, Alex. <laughs> um, okay, so we're we're really here to talk about President Trump's uh, delivery on his longstanding idea of taking the oil uh, from other countries, which he has talked about for a long time. But uh, before we get into the meat of what America's new rapacious policy is, I'd like to talk about the background, about what the hell is going on with these oil fields in northern Syria that the U.S. is all of a sudden guarding. So, um, Chen, what was the situation there before Sunday and really before the U.S. policy change as it relates to the Kurds? That's That was the real thing that changed things here. Sure. So the oil fields we're talking about are in Deir Zor province. It's a little bit farther to the south. It's still in the eastern part of Syria, but it's farther south than that, like, chunk of territory we've been talking about, um, you know, the last couple of weeks with Syria and the Kurds. So just to try to get a picture of the map of Syria, uh, it's a little bit farther south, much farther south than that. But these oil fields basically um, were controlled by ISIS. They took them over during, you know, the early part of the Syrian civil war. They used them to basically fund a lot of their operations, smuggling the oil uh, and selling it to various parties, including the Assad regime. And then starting around 2011, the U.S. and the SDF, the Syrian Democratic Forces, which is the, the largely Kurdish-led and U.S.-backed opposition force that was fighting ISIS, the, the Kurds and the U.S. basically took these oil fields back from ISIS. It was a really bloody fight. It was a rough fight. And we bombed the hell out of 
the oil fields in the process. So these oil fields were basically now have been controlled by the SDF with the U.S. backing. Um, but these oil fields aren't super productive, just so we're clear. Like, the infrastructure was essentially, like, really damaged. Some of them may be producing, but most of them probably not. And the ones that are are probably not producing very much oil at all. It's not even enough to power Syria itself, if I recall. Like, oh, no. It's it's a tiny amount. Sorry, um, it's, it's about 40,000 barrels is the capacity, I believe, the, that they were reduced to after the bombing. Right. Um, so we're talking a really, really tiny amount, minuscule. Uh, most oil experts say that it wouldn't have any impact on the global oil market whatsoever, um, one way or the other. So that's kind of the status quo ante. So the U.S. and the SDF, um, SDF mainly, we're holding these fields. They've held them, this territory. Now, it's far away from their main territory, right? So their main territory is in the kind of upper northeast corner right on the border with Syria. Um, so this was kind of far away, but they liked the fact that they held it. It was a huge coup when they got it, um, these oil fields, because it's, you know, if you're starting kind of your own trying to build an independent state, which the Kurds are, were doing, having some oil was you know, a good thing for them. They were excited, even though it's not a ton, you know, on the global scale for the Kurds, they were excited about right, it. Right. So for a very small chunk of right. Syria trying to break off. Yeah. That, was, that's actually significant. Yeah. And so that's where we were uh, until the last couple of weeks. And then things changed. Uh, early in October, Trump has a call with Turkish President uh, Erdogan. He goes, OK, we're going to pull our troops out. And so we started to. And then things changed <laughs> again. Uh, what you really need to know is that, of course, there was a massive backlash against the withdrawal. The administration tried very hard to balance Trump's desire to withdraw all 1,000 U.S. troops from Syria with, you know, trying to keep an alliance with the Kurds and not completely leave everything uh, horrible. And so... What ends up happening is there are a ton of people just kind of getting into Trump's ear, trying to get into reverse decision, and it seems like that one effort worked. A retired Army General, Jack Keane, who works at a think tank here in Washington and also is a constant Fox News contributor, along with Trump ally Senator Lindsey Graham, they show Trump a map and, and multiple maps, uh, apparently, reportedly, and what they showed were the oil fields, and they're like, Mr. President, remember, there is oil in Syria – ISIS used that oil to make money in the past and, and, and gain power. And so if you leave, ISIS could get that money again and reconstitute and you would have that, you know, that basically everyone keeps comparing the issue to uh, when ISIS came out after the U.S. troops withdrew from Iraq and the, under Obama, right? right. Like, Trump doesn't want to repeat that. It's weird because that, I, I think, and we can talk about this maybe more later, but I don't think that the Obama troop withdrawal is why ISIS rose, nor did the oil, incidentally. Both of these things are orthogonal to what made ISIS successful in 2014. Man, we have status quo anti-orthogonal, the, the yeah. word usage this morning, yeah. you guys. Uh, so, no, so I mean, all this to say is that, like, that seemed to convince Trump. Is the, And the reason is, and I know we'll get into this more, is that Trump has been pretty consistent about, like, if the U.S. goes into the Middle East to in, in, for a war, to help people out, like, there's a good, there's a way we can, re, you know, uh, get more, recoup our losses, we can take the oil. And so I think for, for talking about the oil fields and talking about the ISIS resurgence, or at least that that could have been a pathway, was a way to get to Trump to be like, you need to somewhat reverse your views here. And that that became the new policy. And, uh, and we could, we'll talk about my, my fun discussion with the Pentagon about all this. But 
it, that ended up becoming the new policy, that the U.S. was leaving the Syria war, whatever it may be, that we weren't going to intervene between the Turks and the Kurds anymore, but we were going to stay in Syria to protect the oil fields. So this became official policy on Sunday during a, a speech that the president was nominally using to talk about the death of ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Uh, so this was a speech that many people expected to be a kind of victory lap uh, for the administration after a reasonably important counterterrorism success. It, it turned into a long rambly thing where Trump kind of disclosed a lot of intelligence about the attack that maybe he shouldn't have. But he also took the opportunity to bury in this new policy announcement about Syria, which is which is a really, really big deal. And now we're going to play a clip from the speech where he talks about this. We're out. But we are leaving soldiers to secure the oil. Now, we may have to fight for the oil. It's okay. Maybe somebody else wants the oil, in which case they have a hell of a fight. But there's massive amounts of oil, and we're securing it for a couple of reasons. Number one, it stops ISIS, because ISIS got tremendous wealth from that oil. We have taken it. It's secured. Number two, and again, somebody else may claim it, but either we'll negotiate a deal with whoever's claiming it, if we think it's fair, or we will militarily stop them very quickly. We have tremendous power in that part. OK, so there's a lot, a lot packed in to uh, that comment. And we'll, we'll break down all of it over the course of the show. But what I want to focus right now on is like what the policy actually is, because the way that it sounds like the president was just describing it, it was that the United States would now essentially seize not just military temporary control over the area, but permanent like sovereignty to a degree that the U.S. could dispose of the oil as it saw fit. It could sell it to different countries, to maybe American oil companies, uh, and that if another country or faction tried to take the oil back, including the Syrian government to whom – say what you will about Bashar al-Assad, but he does – you know, legally own that territory, or at least the SDF has a strong claim to it as well, depending on who you listen to, we'd fight them. We would fight and kill to, to maintain what is essentially an oil colony in the middle of Syria. Am I, am I reading that right? Like, it sounds too crazy to be actual policy. Yeah. I mean, okay. So I've had multiple discussions with the White House and the Pentagon about this, and uh, the policy changes a little bit every time. So <laughs> <laughs> okay, That's always a good start. This is fine. So when I first started talking to the administration, it was, we're staying in Syria to still work with our Kurdish allies. And some of those areas happened to be around the oil fields. So that was kind of policy one. Then it became, okay, well, we will be protecting the Syrian oil fields, but, like, it won't be that big a presence. Then it became, oh, it might be hundreds of troops by our, like, it might be hundreds of troops. There was still no word yet about whether the Kurds would work with us. But, like, the goal is solely a denial mission to keep it out of the hands of ISIS. And then it turned into, oh, we will work with our Kurdish allies, as we always do, near the oil fields, make sure that they're protected. And, you know, again, it's still the goal is to keep it away from ISIS. So it kind of transformed from, yeah, we're going to be in the area to, oh, the, this is the total reason we're in the area. That it, that it was all about protecting oil fields, keeping it out of ISIS's hands, still a mission that we can work with the Kurds. And if new reporting indicates that there will be about 500 or so troops as part of this um, oil protection scheme, which goes along with around 400 other troops in Syria, which means we'll have about 900 in the country, which I want to make clear. We had 1,000 in Syria 
when Trump announced the withdrawal. So the withdrawal in the end may end up being about 100 troops total. Nothing about what you just said makes any sense. I'm not saying it's your fault. It, it's not my yeah, fault. It's it's not not your my, fault. It's this not one is fault. not my fault. <laughs> it's, it's the Pentagon's fault. It's not the Pentagon's fault either, right? Sorry. I, it's sorry the, administra- Pentagon. the administration in general. Yeah, it's it's – well, what happened in this case is that the president made an announcement based on a weirdo map that overstated the amount of oil that was shown to him for a different purpose, which was for the purpose of trying to get him to keep troops in Syria to defend the Kurds. And then he decided to make it a new policy, which was oil and annexation, theft, pillage, etc. And now the Pentagon is trying to backfill a policy that was total nonsense and, and, and ill conceived from the beginning. Right. So here's the thing that you need to understand is that, you know, Alex laid out all the different justifications that the Pentagon has given because they are essentially, like Zach said, trying to like retrofit a policy to fit what Trump just said and keep saying. The problem is that when you listen to everything Trump says, he continues to come out and say things that completely contradict what his Pentagon officials, what Secretary of Defense Mark Esper has, like, come out and said. So, again, the Pentagon comes out and says, you know, basically, yes, we're going to be there, but it's all about ISIS, right? This is all about making sure it doesn't fall into the hands of ISIS, which, like, fair enough, right? They did actually get a lot of money from smuggling oil using these fields. It was a very good thing that we took those away from them. That was very helpful. However, so Trump this week is speaking in front of a bunch of police officers in Chicago for some event that's completely unrelated to oil and or Syria. And he basically says, this isn't verbatim, but he says he's like musing about literally selling the oil as the United States. And he talks about, you know, maybe we can bring in ExxonMobil, an American oil company, and have them do this right. And like we can really like own this oil, which is literally what the Pentagon was trying to avoid having to say um, and saying, no, 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 this is about ISIS. He's like, no, literally, I want to get an American oil company to come in here now. There are a few reasons why this is completely insane. Just a few? Yeah. Um, I'm going to lay them out real quick and then we can get into it. uh, And we're going to talk a lot more about it uh, in the second half as well. But number one, again, this makes literally no sense. So think about it for a second. We bombed the hell out of these oil fields. Okay. They're not producing very well. It would take, by all these estimates from experts who literally do this for a living, millions of dollars in U.S. investment, if we were to get these facilities up and running again, it would take a lot of years. So it's a huge investment in oil fields. Number two, they're not ours, okay, uh, at all. Um, Not only does Assad have a credible claim because it's in his actual country, we are not there at his request or with his permission. There is no necessarily military authorization saying that we can be there from the United States side. Oh, yeah. This is like eight different kinds of illegal. Again, we're going to talk about that later. Then there's also the fact that even before the Syrian civil war, Shell Oil, the Chinese National Petroleum Company and several others also had claims to some of these fields. So they could challenge this uh, if they wanted to. There's also the fact that we currently have massive sanctions on the Syrian regime, which means any companies that wanted to go in and work, like ExxonMobil, for example, couldn't without running up against our own sanctions. So we would have to lift the sanctions on Syria. I don't even know what number we're on, but let's keep going. Or, or annex the oil, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Or you, we could just say this is America yeah, now. Yeah, this is America and, you know, screw you, everyone. Which is, which is by the way, the, this is the textbook definition of colonialism, if that's, <laughs> right. if that's what he this decides to do. This is ours now. We take your resources and, and you get nothing. And then— 
there's also the question of like, who are we actually protecting it from at this point? Like, that's a whole different question because like we're protecting it from ISIS, sure, but they don't really have the capabilities to take this over right now and to like they could potentially militarily take it over, but they don't have in any way like caliphate the kind of power that they had. They have a couple thousand like fighters who are fighting an insurgency, but they're not like ready to start massive oil operations. And then finally, like if we were going to sell it, we would probably maybe sell it to the Assad regime because that's who the SDF was selling it to. It makes no sense. And then also finally, it's literally a war crime. I just want to make very, very clear one one point about all that, which is just, first of all, that was all insane. <laughs> As in what you said was correct, but it is still all insane. Remember Trump's sort of macro justification for, all, for the original withdrawal idea, which he's now done twice. The U.S. should not be involved in endless foreign wars in the Middle East, okay? He, but this is one, right? If you are putting 500 or so troops to work with our partners in oil fields, to protect them against anyone else that might want to take it by force, that is a war in the Middle East. Troops, Amer- American troops, are in harm's way. Directly. Uh, directly. Solely to protect oil. It is not as part of a, um, like, working with allies scheme, trying to create leverage for maybe some sort of uh, diplomatic deal in Syria, which is always kind of a pipe dream. But that, at least right. that was some justification. This is quite literally, oh, you American sons and daughters, I'm keeping you in Syria solely to protect an oil field that we might keep or sell to others or whatever it may be. There are some people that believe that this is also a way for the U.S. to keep some sort of leverage in Syria that makes right. it like that. I, I, can't, I should nod to that. Um, and that is possibly true. But it's, Trump clearly doesn't see it as, as in that sense. Yeah, he clearly sees this as an, as an oil grab. Yeah, because he's been saying that for years, right? Exactly. Is that if there's one consistent thing, and I'm, I'm going to do a little self-promotion here, is that during the fir- Trump's first presidential campaign, I wrote an article about how perhaps his most consistent foreign policy belief is that we should, in fact, be waging war for oil. As someone I saw, I can't remember who, I'd like to give them credit, but I can't remember who, they said that uh, Trump's idea of foreign policy is basically the same as Noam Chomsky's. The U.S. should just be out there for itself, is out there for itself, taking things that make it money. Only in Trump's mind, that's good. It's like the absolute worst, ugliest picture of U.S. imperialists you know, ugly American colonialist behavior. He proposed doing it for Iraq after the U.S. invaded there. He proposed doing it in Libya after the U.S. invaded there. Venezuela? Uh, He's talked about wanting to invade Venezuela, and a lot of that was the oil. So... You love some some oil wars. Right. And so the, the causal pathway through this, as you say, there, there's like potential justifications, leverage, whatever. But what actually happened is a proposal from people who have foreign policy views that are very different from Trump's got filtered through Trump's own like mental matrix of it's our oil. All oil is our oil and we should take it. And then ended up being a policy that is both permanent war as opposed to what he had proposed beforehand and take the oil, uh, which is what nobody except for Trump wanted, uh, in part because it's really in deep contravention of uh, what the United States thinks it's supposed to be doing and has long stood for internationally, right? Like in contrast to the Trump-Chomsky foreign policy theory, uh, there is an idea long enshrined both in international law and in sort of broad bipartisan American foreign policy that waging war to take resources from other countries forcibly and annex them to your own country or use them for your own profit is unacceptable. Not just unacceptable, it needs to be stamped out and fought against. This is part of the rationale for the first Gulf War. The Saddam invaded Kuwait. And the U.S. 
uh, intervened because Saddam was trying to steal Kuwait's oil fields. Right. Right. He was trying to take them for Iraq. And that was deemed to be an unacceptable violation of international sovereignty. George H.W. Bush positioned it as part of uh, the U.S.'s role in defending the liberal international order in preventing wars for resources right. that we saw much more frequently prior to 1945 uh, when, you know, there were lots of different great powers and they just sort of did whatever they want with other countries, particularly in the third world. This is the vision for American foreign policy is that we don't do that. We do lots of other bad stuff. But this one bad thing we specifically do not do. And now Trump's like, nah, we should do it. Okay, so I, I got a little mad there. Uh, and we're going to take a break for me to cool off and maybe think about the Nats for a little bit. JK, it's fine. I'm not actually that mad. I'm just – actually, I am that mad. But I can still talk about foreign policy. And when we come back, we're going to talk both about the implications of this announcement for the Middle East as a region and the U.S.'s role in it and for international law. Welcome back, worldly listeners. We are talking about a very baffling and troubling foreign policy announcement from the Trump administration. So it's a day that ends in Y. I would like to get back to the Middle East as a region because we've been talking uh, largely through the point of view of the coherence of American foreign policy uh, and its consistency with past objectives and moral ideals. Uh, but there are also implications, even if Trump doesn't actually try to seize the oil and sell it to some third-party country, the very fact of saying that that's what we'd like to do has implications for the way the U.S. is seen around the Middle East. All right. So macro level here again, one of the conspiracy theories about the United States foreign policy in the Middle East has always been that we are there solely for the oil. Um, it's It's been pervasive in the region. It's pervasive among a certain uh, part of the country, the U.S. as well. And, like, there is certainly some merit to it, right? We have definitely made decisions solely for oil or for energy. I mean, that's that's always been a constant, especially since, like, FDR and the Saudi king, like, shook hands on the ship, right? Like that's Since the, they found oil. Since they found oil, basically. yeah. Like, it, yeah, basically, the Industrial Revolution, oil has been important, right? So, okay, fine. Um, but the U.S. has been in the Middle East for multiple other reasons. Um, one, of course, like ally management, deterring actors we don't like, anti-terrorism, et cetera, et cetera. There, there's tons. Spreading democracy in was theory. one of the things. Sure, fine. That's true. We gave that a shot, didn't we? Right. It didn't go so well, but <laughs> right. we tried it. Right. So, like, it's not all oil, right? If you're looking for the causal variable, it, it's certainly out there. Um, it's probably not the, the top one. Okay. But the reason it matters that some people perceive it that way is because it, it, can, it, is, it fuels recruiting sometimes for extremist groups. Um, it's one of the things that is constantly cited uh, as like, oh, the U.S. is here solely to be an imperialist colonial power and they're coming to steal oil wealth and like fight them. Otherwise, they're going to succeed in their mission. And so like for, for Trump to quite literally say like we are going to be in the region to take oil or and sell it or defend it, whatever it may be. Like that only helps and, and and fuels that conspiracy theory. It fuels potential recruiting drives, and makes the U.S. less safe overall, and 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 America viewed even worse. Uh, it also gives some of our adversaries a chance to make us look bad. I mean, even Russia, which has a vested interest in trolling the U.S. constantly and also wants to have a major influence in the Middle East, said that this new American mission is banditry. Uh, and you have other, you know, sort of actors making this this kind of same claim. So the worst thing the U.S. could do, like literally the worst thing the U.S. could do in this moment, right, after the bad will that has come from the withdrawal announcement, the worst thing it could do was, oh, like it almost would have been better to say we're completely out, good luck, fight amongst yourself. 
this is arguably worse to say that, oh, no, we're staying. We're just, we don't care about you people. We care about the oil solely. Um, and, and that is one of the more, other than what we're going to get into, you know, this is a war crime. Uh, like that's sort of the macro bad issue here is that it's, this won't help America's image in any way, shape or form. Right. And, I, and I'm glad you mentioned, you know, the, the fact that, you know, contrasting this with the decision to pull out um, of the, you know, the Kurdish area, right? I think there's a, a deeply, before we get to the international law part, there's a deeply moral problem here, just at a very fundamental level that really disturbs me. So Donald Trump did not think that it was worth having U.S. lives risked in a war zone to protect our Kurdish allies who have fought and died beside us uh, fighting ISIS for years. Thousands. Yes, thousands of them died, way more than any Americans died. Um he said that that's not worth it. We're not going to be there forever. He said basically, you know, we've never agreed to that, blah, blah, blah. Um, you're on your own. You know, it's bloody sand. He said basically, uh, you guys fight it out. So he did not think that it was worth spending U.S., you know, blood and treasure, as we say, to protect human lives of our allies or any humans. Yet he does think it's worth putting U.S. lives in direct danger of conflict and dying and spending money on having U.S. forces to protect shitty oil fields, to protect unproductive oil fields that literally aren't like he keeps saying massive amounts of oil. That's not true. So at a fundamental level, like that is just deeply disturbing to me in a way that I don't want to gloss over because he's literally saying you humans, you Kurds who were our close allies for years are not worth my time and effort, but we will have our soldiers die for these oil fields. That is just sick to me. And that's why it has such profound implications for the stability of the U.S. presence there, because we are telling potential partners, allies, people who might find the U.S. an attractive moral ideal in the region, we are not that. We are not what you thought we were. We are not what we said we are. Right. We are a country that values money over human lives in the way that Jen so eloquently just put it. Uh, and it is just baffling to me on a strategic level and infuriating on a moral level. Yeah, I think, you know, when you think about, you know, Russia and China, right? Um, Russia and China have always been China to a less degree, but, you know, somewhat more now um, all over the world, right? Uh, in Afghanistan, in, in Africa, right? Like they have been pretty clear on their aims, uh, China, you know, trying to get rights to like minerals and and things like that, rare earth materials. Uh, China has been trying to, you know, make inroads in Africa for the same reason. Russia, you know, has its fingers all over the place. Um, and our kind of moral, you know, pushback against that was like, no, you can't do that. Like you can't exploit other countries. Like Zach said, we have said this for a long time that this was our moral stance. To be fair, we haven't always actually held up our end of that bargain. But at the very least, like, that was the ideal, right? And in some places, we have done good things, I would argue, and tried to promote democracy and, and stand up. We didn't always do it right. And a lot of times we did it horribly wrong yeah, yeah. and did Mi terrible mixed things. Mixed record. Mixed right. record. But at least, like, that was the operating principle that we tried to uphold. Um, but now that's just shot to hell. It's gone. And we are now no better, you know, under this policy. It makes us seem like we are no better than any, you know, imperialist power that's just raping and pillaging. No, I mean, just just for, to make this point even clearer, there will forever be a video of an American president being like, we're there for the oil. We can sell the oil. It's our oil. Like right. that that will exist. That was the like the one clip we could not have. 
And that is the one clip that exists for Yeah, the, the hope has to be that it never gets implemented and it ends up being an incident that's forgotten, an embarrassing incident that people dredge up to humiliate the U.S., but one that doesn't permanently impact its perception internationally and specifically in the Middle East. But we can't be sure of that because we can't be sure the policy won't be implemented. Uh, we just don't know. However, there is a check on the policy in being implemented. Uh, I think it's a check anyway, which is that under both international and domestic law, this is extremely illegal, just like very illegal. And so I, I want to talk about the reasons why. Right? Yeah, There's yeah. an excellent article in The New Yorker by Robin Wright who spent some time in northern Syria that I would really encourage you to read. Uh, she does a great job laying out the legal argumentation as to why we can't do this. Jen, why don't you talk a little bit about pillage? Yeah. So basically, uh, under the Geneva Conventions, so uh, these are laws of war and how to conduct yourself and, you know, internationally um, that were established basically starting kind of in the wake of World War II and, and how to, you know, not have things like holocausts and raping and pillaging anymore. Um, so things like you can't, you know, just arbitrarily kill civilians and you can't, you know, bomb bridges and you can't bomb churches and things like that. Um, you can't torture people. One of those is you can't pillage. That's literally the wording used. Uh, and it's basically stealing theft of resources in a time of war. So it doesn't even have to be that you start a war for that reason. It could be like during war, while you're in a war, you are pillaging, you are stealing these resources for yourself. Um, so like this is literally what we are doing. So that's the Geneva Conventions. Fourth Geneva Convention in particular deals with this. The other thing is that that is actually, you know, the conventions are codified in U.S. law. And it's also under the U.S. War Crimes Act. It is also codified. So it's not just like people talk about international law a lot as being like kind of a myth, right? It's it's a set of principles, but there's no, you know, international body that really can enforce it in any real way. You know, you can do sanctions and things like that. We're not a party to the ICC, the International Criminal Court. Uh, we didn't sign on to the treaty that established that, the Rome Treaty. So we technically, like, don't believe that we are party to that. Therefore, people can't be prosecuted uh, under that court. Uh, they actually can because it's a whole complicated thing. But here's the thing. We literally prosecuted Nazis at Nuremberg for this, for pillaging, for taking resources during a time of war. So this isn't a gray area, is what I'm trying to say here. It is codified in international law, in U.S. domestic law. Uh, people at the State Department who are interviewed in by several media outlets in all of these articles that we are reading, they know this. The Pentagon knows this, right? And that's the problem, is that, I mean, I don't know if it's a problem, it's potentially a really good thing, that... You literally can't do this. So that runs up against the issue of, okay, well, we're pretending that it's the ISIS thing, right? Well, oh, but we're just fighting terrorism, so that's fine. And that's where it really breaks down because when you hear Trump like repeatedly saying, no, like we're literally going to send in ExxonMobil, well, if you wanted to potentially prosecute someone for war crimes, that's really good evidence that that's what this is because Trump is literally saying it on television. Two responses to this. One— as much as Trump says that he wants to take all the oil out, right, uh, and maybe sell it to Exxon or whoever it may be, and there are oil companies that say they have claims to it, like Shell and and, and the Chinese one and ConocoPhillips, et cetera. Like, okay, the administration has twice walked back a, a withdrawal that Trump has like gone on camera and said is happening. So there's a very good chance, I would say, that the Pentagon, people in the White House, State Department, elsewhere, regardless of what Trump may be like, sell the oil, whatever it may be like. 
I think it will stay at a denial ISIS mission. This doesn't mean that troops might not be in harm's way. They are. But I think that in terms of like becoming the oil barons of the Syrian oil field, I think that might be tempered a bit by folks in Trump's administration. We could disagree on that, but that would be my guess. Number two is, and I'm sorry for how callous this question will come out, but like, okay, so what? So what that this is all against international law? I mean, I get that it, it's bad, right? We, we can all agree it's bad, but no one's going to stop America from doing this unless like Russia tries to take the oil fields, unless Syrian forces try to take the oil fields, unless like, there's no, nobody's going to prosecute anyone. No one's going to prosecute No Trump. one prosecuted the Bush administration well, for torture. I, I think there's a kind of different issue here, which is separate both from like, will someone prosecute them, uh, which actually could happen once Trump's, Trump leaves office if they do In act theory. on this. Yeah. Uh, and considering that people, I think Democrats really want to lock him up um, if they can. Nats uh, fans do. Yeah, Nats <laughs> fans. Um, second, there, it's also separate from the issue of disobedience uh, in the Trump administration, because let's say that doesn't happen, right? And people at the higher levels start acting on the president's will. There's a question for the people who actually have to execute the policy, uh, which is whether or not they follow the orders. Right. Now, normally, uh, you know, you don't get latitude if you're in the military uh, or in some kind of the, the political hierarchy here. But it's very clear, again, that if you are given an unlawful order in the mil- U.S. military, you're within your rights to refuse. You're actually you're obligated. required. Yeah. 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 Like that's literally Nuremberg is like you can't say I was just following orders if you knew it was unlawful. And this like, is no no question, 100 percent indubitably uh, illegal. So we now have a situation where you could have U.S. Uh, military forces literally disobeying the president uh, if he tries really hard to turn his policy into law. And I, I can't remember the last time – that that's happened, um, I'm sure it has uh, in in some situations, but this would be a, a massive, massive deal for U.S. civil military relations, for uh, the way that the president sees the military, for the way that politi- the political branches in general and the two parties approach issues of war and peace. Like uh, an officer saying, no, I cannot do that, and Trump being forced to either find another soldier or to lock that person up in a military prison – uh, and the crisis that would precipitate legally, I, I can't really – I don't have the knowledge or the foresight to be able to talk reasonably about what that would mean other than it would be a huge, huge deal. Yeah. I also just want to talk again about a more practical level. Just a reminder, these oil fields aren't working. <laughs> like I don't know how much clearer to be. We're literally guarding oil fields that are not very productive. Like maybe some of them work, maybe not. People aren't even really sure, like maybe one or two of them. They're still really small anyway. And it would take, by most estimates, millions of dollars of U.S. tax dollars investment over multiple years. Millions or billions? I think millions. Uh, It it could go up to billions. I would assume billions. Oil fields are hard. Um, Yeah, but – at the least, it's going to be billions of dollars, right, to get them even to the point that they would start, like, bringing in, like, recouping their expenses, right? So it's not really clear why this ma- – like, what is the point of this, right? Like, it was a a useful resource that the Kurds had that helped them trying to build their fledgling country. It is not something the U.S. needs. Trump himself has said – Numerous times that we don't even need oil in the Middle East. By the way, he said this so many times when he's talking about 
Saudi Arabia and Iran. He's like, we don't actually need it. We don't need to have our ships in the Strait of Hormuz. Like, this doesn't matter. We have tons of natural gas. We're a huge energy producer, which is true. He's like, we don't even need it. Syria has about as much oil as the state of Utah, which right. isn't even our biggest the oil. The whole group. country of Syria, not 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 just these little fields. I right? thought you were about to say the whole country of Utah. <laughs> the whole country of Utah, which is, no. Uh, if there's any country in America, it's Texas. Anyway. Oh, boy. So— but but that's the thing is that like this literally makes no sense even based on Trump's own assessment of what the U.S. needs. We don't even need this oil. Which takes me to a very controversial point, which is that Trump seems to be quite inept at this policy. Um, <laughs> Fair <laughs> statement. Fair statement. <laughs> all right, all right, so like right. no no but like I, I mean I want to make very clear here like okay so twice he's ordered a Syria withdrawal right in this latest case there were a thousand troops. There's now going to be a policy where there's about 900 or so inside Syria. So that's not a withdrawal. Second, he's shown, he apparently did not know that there were oil fields in northern Syria that we were working with the SDF on. People show him maps and he goes, oh, they're oil fields. I'm going to protect them. Clearly not being inquisitive enough to know how productive those oil fields were. And then he seems to now be winging it, being like, ah, we might sell it or we might fight people. Like this comes down. To Trump's lack of curiosity, lack of knowledge, and 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 lack of, of of leading an actual rigorous foreign policy process that can lead to good outcomes or at least not the worst outcomes. Uh, the fact that he is winging it, tweeting that we're withdrawing, that he's now then winging it again, being like, "Oh, I guess the oil fields matter." All of this it stems from Trump's just general mismanagement of foreign policy. I just want to say in that New Yorker piece, there was an amazing quote from a U.S. official who told Robin Wright, quote, it was seat of the pants type shit talking about the decision to keep troops and protect the oil. So um, with that charming warning about us basically accidentally falling into war crimes because the president doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, we're going to wrap today. Uh, I want to thank all of you for listening. As you might have noted, this episode was a little bit longer than what we've been doing in the past. Uh, we are trying to go back to, uh, you know, a sort of more original format that we had done on the show a little bit. So write us to let us know what you think at worldly at Vox.com. I want to thank our engineer, Malachi Brodus. I want to thank our producer, Jackson Beerfelt. And I want to encourage all of you to rate, subscribe, and review Worldly wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a lot, y'all. See you next week. Go Nats! Happy Halloween! Nats! Nats.